Good morning, everyone. Don't tell Russ, but while he's away, Um, there's a couple of things I was meant to mention. Uh, one is, oh no, you've done that Jakarta thing, yeah. uh, Jog Jakarta. And the other one was that um, uh, I remember. But sometimes you just don't want to leave the presence that you've just been in. And ever since I got here this morning, I've just been sensing the Holy Spirit. And so... I'm not so much worried about how I mumble through my message as I normally do because I believe the Holy Spirit is overriding what is being said and speaking more into the hearts of people every time. Um, we had a pretty awesome time here last week. I was quite amazed at a couple of things. One is there was a good number of people who felt that they could come forward for prayer for healing and that was just amazing. What was even a greater thing, I think, was that if there were 20 people, there were 40 people from the congregation praying by faith that something would happen for those who wanted to have a healing. That's amazing. We want to be an equipping church. And so when we see these steps of faith, it just encourages our hearts that as a church body, we're developing a a foundation that is trust in him and that we'll go risky and take a little step of faith. Now, on that, I just wondered, were there any testimonies that came out of last week where people thought, yeah, look, something happened for me and I just want to share it. Um, is there any hands I could see? Like, did something happen? Any, anybody else? Yes, Diane? Anybody else? Any great anything? Alan, thank you. Um, yeah. So, um, if I know David, I can see he's got uh, something he'd like to share on that. So, David, would you like to come and share a testimony? And Diane, yeah, that'd be great. Hi, I'm David. I'm fairly new here, so. <laughs> Um, but last week I came up for prayer and um, it, for me it wasn't a heart, a heart thing, it was in the head. And um, so I actually sent a text to Tony. Uh, there's something I've, I received from the Holy Spirit. Um, actually he sp first spoke to me about this on that, while getting prayed for. And it's uh, forgetting what lies behind. And I hadn't read that scripture in ages, so I looked it up. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, he had a pretty, well, for his background, he had a pretty awesome background. And yet he had to put things behind. But the Holy Spirit was forget, telling me to forget the past. I was first thinking about, sorry, I jumped ahead there. I was first thinking about that he was thinking about all the times I've failed. I considered suicide, being a creep, what others have thought about me. He told me last night, not only forget the negative, but also forget the positive. Because I've had a pretty good background too. I've had times of ministry, when I've ministered and 
My father was a pastor and I've got a pretty good background, but I had a time there where I wasn't as close to the Lord as I should be. Um, the past, both positive and negative, can hold me back from what God wants to do on my future. I seem to be the only one, apart from the enemy, holding me to the past. God certainly isn't. My family, my family don't, nor do my long-time friends and my new friends don't know it except for what I've shared with them. Thank you. Thank you, David. That was awesome. Yes, I'd like to um, just explain. Since New Year, I've had terrible burning pain in my back and right across my chest. Um, the Thursday before last week, um, I had to go back to the doctor because it got to the point, even having a, a very soft uh, pillow behind my very comfortable chair, by two o'clock in the afternoon, it usually came on between two and three, and I could not bear to have my back against anything, and I was walking around the house like this, crying, and going to bed about six, eight, sorry, about seven p.m. and and eight p.m. because I couldn't put up with the pain. Um, and once I got on my side, I would wake up all night long. But at least it was easing the pain. So I went back to my doctor, and she took me off tablets that I've been on for a long time for arthritis, anything that had paracetamol in them. And the very night. I stopped that. The pain halved. And I was praising God and thanking. And then when Tony said, you know, um, if anyone wants some healing, because I do have a couple of other things that need healing, but um, I had a couple pray for me. And what was really hurting me was I know God just has made me an encourager. Part of my ministry is to go to people that, you know, are lonely or um, not feeling well. And I kept, I couldn't go. I kept putting it off because I was not feeling well enough to do it. And so I asked them to pray, particularly for that kind of thing, that God would heal me enough that I can get out and get to places because I don't drive by buses to and fro so that I could encourage somebody else. And I'd like to just say praise God because uh, Friday I went out to two different people um, one was way out at Waverley and another was another direction and I could get on and off the bus. I have had no, none of that back pain or chest pain, burning pain since last week. Awesome. The half that was there has gone as well. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We honour you. We bless you. We thank you for all you're doing. And Father, as we worship you and stay in your love and your, the holy place, Lord, would you continue to show us the way forward into faith and to living like you. Thank you that you're able to do something in each of the lives that gave testimony so that they could be an encouragement to us. And I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Um, for those who are new to this church, we've been doing a bit of a look at the series where in Mark 9, a man says to Jesus in a healing, um, his son was unwell, and Jesus asked him the question, 
uh, did he believe? And he said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And so that has sort of inspired us to open up this topic of faith and lack of faith, belief and unbelief. And I don't know if you realise, but unless you're a person who reads Greek, the word there in that particular passage, and we're going to look at it a bit later, is a Greek word, apistia. And it's not so much, I've got belief and I've got a declining scale, so somewhere on that scale I've got smaller faith. The word is uh, withholding. I'm withholding belief. So it's not actually attached to a sliding scale. It's actually complete opposite. It's sort of like the difference between freshwater and seawater. They're different. They taste different. They're completely different. Or two different seeds. And you can't sow both those seeds. Well, people do sow both those seeds into the garden of their life so that we have faith and we have unbelief. And depending which one we nurture the most, the ones that we add the most of, we will have more faith or we'll have more unbelief, more withholding faith. So you can see examples of this from Hebrews 3, 17 to 19. Now, with whom he, uh, was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And there's a direct correlation there between unbelief and disobedience. There was no belief in the power and the promises of God. In Mark 6, 4, we see what I call baby in the manger syndrome. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour, except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marvelled because of their unbelief. People would not let him grow up to be the Jesus who he was, they held him in a place where they would not believe what he said and what he would do. And so he was constrained. And so he could do a few things, but not do the mighty works. I see we're doing a few things here in this church. What we want to see is the mighty things. We want to move from the place where we don't recognise who Jesus really and fully is. Um. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul was ignorant to Jesus and to his identity, but God showed him mercy. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I am formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So God moved him on, but he was ignorant in his unbelief. And and we might be in that place. We might be a little bit ignorant in our unbelief, but God will have mercy and he will show us forward. But the most shocking um, illustration of this unbelief is the disciples in Mark 16. Mark 16 is the last chapter in that book. And so you'd think by the end of the story, the disciples would get it. 
Well, Mark 16, verse uh, 9. Now, when he arose on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had seen her, had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven. And now here comes this face slap. <laughs> Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief, their withholding of faith. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. So it had declined to hardness. And this is the guys that are about to take on the, the whole ministry of Jesus' life. It's amazing because they did not believe those who had, uh, had seen him after he had been risen. It's just amazing. But God got through. But God got through. So there is this refusal to believe facts to, and to actively withhold and develop a hard heart. We're going to look at that a little bit later. But if faith is a substance, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, then it's tangible. And we, uh, we give evidence of an unseen reality when we believe. We give evidence of that unseen reality and I align my mind and my heart, my spirit, with his words and promises. And so I confirm with my mouth a substantial word, a substantial faith. It's substance. The opposite of un is unbelief, which denies that there is evidence and disputes the unseen and, and the unlikely, that it's a possibility, that it's a reality, and it's confirmed in things like, well, I believe, but, 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 not but. That was for the New Zealanders, but... <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's another one. Last week I had to go up to Dutch. This week's New Zealanders. <laughs> uh, so we have belief. We have unbelief. I believe, therefore I understand. I don't understand, so therefore I won't believe. Let's look at some people who took their substance of faith and pleased God with it, with the application to their lives. This is uh, Matthew chapter 25, from verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents, and likewise he who had received two gained two also, two more also. But he who had received one and dug it and who had received one went and dug it in the ground, dug in the ground, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents, look. I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You 
were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Lord, look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Well, I don't think I want to read the last line. And cast and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so we understand this parable. It's around I'd like to apply it. It was originally around the idea of um, Jesus returning and setting up for the Jewish people an understanding of his return. But you can also use this in in the area of the measures of faith that we're given. So we understand the travelling person, the Lord, is Jesus, and the servant are us, the Christians. One person gets five talents. In this context, it's talked about in money. But I would like to put it to you, it's around the areas of measures of faith. Maybe I could personalise a little bit better. I'm thinking of someone with five talents. Let's use Steve, who was sitting, uh, standing here this morning. So Steve is a person who is a person of faith. And he realises that God has deposited things in his life. Maybe it's in the area of seeing things that are not yet built and made. Um, Ideas that could become reality if someone were to put a framework around them and could communicate that to other people. Maybe he's got a leadership gift where he's able to draw people together and say, well, I can see that you have ambition and talent. Can I help you go from here to there? And with my coaching and mentoring, we'll be able to take you to that place. Maybe he's got financial acumen. He understands how money works. He understands how you can take it and put it in a place and make it work and return back equity not always financial equity, but also social capital, projects that will increase the value in the community of the things that we do. Maybe it's the area of wisdom. Steve can see things, understand them, discern them, and then give a word that interprets it so that other people can say, yes, this is a really wise choice to make. Maybe... He's got a gift in compassion. God's deposited within him the gift of compassion. And so when he looks 
at need in society. He understands that something could be done and should be done. Steve prays about those five talents that he's been given. And through the course of years, he works in various capacities in various places till one day he finds himself as the CEO of the local Christian mission where he can use all five of those talents, expressing that wisdom, compassion, leadership, financial capability and bringing dreams to reality. And then one day, Steve stands before God. God says to him, well done, Steve, my faithful servant. Come in and share the joy that I've had watching you express your faith. Well done. Come in, I'm going to give you lots of other things in this realm of heaven. But well done for what you've done. Then there's a person with two talents. Let's choose Fiona, who we saw on the stage this morning. She, she has more than two. Right? But, but I just want to use illustrations. This is not a joke. God is something very real in Fiona's life. And as he touches her, she realises there's a, a creativity that's just bubbling under the surface. And she wants to express it. And so within that, he's given her the ability to worship. It's a tangible kind of reality that she can bring, whether it's through her voice whether it's through a pen or paint, whether it's in design. God's given her a talent and she looks at that talent and she says, I think God wants to use this in my life. Maybe it's the area of telling the truth around or teaching the truth around things. And even this morning, in between the music breaks, in between the music, Fiona was using her voice to try and communicate realities of God. The truth of who he is, how holy he is. And she felt his presence, you know, that we, that we won't let the rocks cry out, that we will worship. And I don't know, I stood there and I felt the waves of his love because he wanted to say something to all of us this morning. And, and through her gift, surrendered to him, I believe she's added two more to her life. And one day she's going to stand in the same place as Steve before God, and he'll look at Fiona and he'll say, well done, Fiona, well done. I'm so pleased with what you did with what you had. You bring joy to my heart with the way you're serving. Well done. Well, now we've got the other person. (laughs) The person's not here today. The one with no talents, or the one that has one talent, but they couldn't make it today because they wanted to hide their talent. They didn't want to bring it out in public. They didn't want to show anybody that they had a measure of faith. They wanted to keep it to themselves. 
And they, did, they didn't even want to do the most basic one, which is encouragement. That you can stand next to someone and hear what they're saying and say, oh, man, that's amazing. Can I encourage you? You're doing everything. You're doing a great job. You know, God loves you and, and you're, it's great. It's fantastic. Just even encouragement. Even lifting your voice in a, in a place of worship. Couldn't even bring themselves to be here for that one thing. That's none of you here. I actually was thinking of Jonah who did a runner on God and left God without a voice to speak into Nineveh. He had a talent. God had given him that ability, but he decided to run. Well, that's none of us. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not even of yourself. It is a gift of God. God deposits faith. Everybody has one talent, one measure of faith, because it was deposited by God. And then he adds more. He adds those active gifts, those act where we can use active faith. But this particular servant was wicked and lazy. The other thing you notice when you read this is he said, well, if you've got that one measure of faith and you want to do something with it, in the illustration in verse 27, he says, go to the bankers. Who are the bankers? In this particular illustration, a banker is someone who can take the currency and increase its value. In our context, we're in the context of faith. And the bankers are those people who have the ability, who have the currency of faith, that see how to encourage the growth of faith. Who's that? Well, you could probably find that in the leadership. You could find it in the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the deacons, people who sit with other people and whose ambition is to increase faith in other people. So you're in a community where you can have your faith increased. We don't have to live in that place of withholding faith. We're in a place where there's a community. So we grow in the context of the tribe or we increase our faith in the context of the community. Now I do want to read the other passage, the one that we've been using as a... Um, I suppose, that uh, has this verse in it, these words in it, uh, help me with my unbelief, in Mark 9, verse 14. Now, you can get into a bit of a side stream if you want to go, and you can see lots of stuff about deliverance, but I actually want to read it from the context of faith. And when he came to the disciples, because he'd just been up on the Mount of Transfiguration, with Peter, James and John. So there were nine left down on the, on the uh, tarmac. And um, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. And all I can say is they were trying to deliver this boy and when it's not working, everybody's got an opinion. They're like noses. Everybody has one and wants to stick it in. So the scribes have got an idea. Well, you weren't doing it because you weren't doing it properly. 
and this is the law and this is the rules and blah, blah, blah. And of course, the, those disciples are left in the situation where we tried what Jesus told us to do and it's not working, so we're not quite sure what to do. Well, that's because you weren't doing it the right way. Okay, so everybody's got a nose or an opinion. Immediately when he, they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Actually, before that, if you go back to the previous verse, it says they were disputing. So he's downplayed the arguments already. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I bought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless or unbelieving, it's another variation of the Greek word epistia, O faithless generation, and in Matthew's rendition, it says um, faithless and corrupt, or um, not corrupt, uh, uh, faithless and perverse, perverse, which is a corruption. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And he also asked, and he asked his father, how long has he been, this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, he says to Jesus. Uh, um, this, this is Jesus. But Jesus turns it around and says, no. And I've lost my place. Um, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said in tears, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my withholding faith. I, I haven't believed, I've withheld to this point. Help me with that. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to a deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Two things, they were faithless and they needed prayer and fasting is the areas of faith to look at. What did the father say the problem was? Anybody? Anybody remember hearing the word mute? <laughs> okay, so the father said it was mute. In Matthew's rendition of the, uh, the story, he said it's epilepsy. So it was, the behaviour was coming out as epilepsy. Jesus, what did he say the problem was? He said it was a spirit. And not only that, but it was a deaf and dumb spirit. So the discernment is there for him to understand how to address the issue. So the disciples are left with the question, why couldn't we cast it out? 
What's the point of prayer and fasting? You know, has anybody figured that out yet? What's the point? Hey? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, when he released the boy, it wasn't because he'd prayed and fasted. So it wasn't praying and fasting per se that was the releasing part. It was Jesus' authority. So the connection to prayer and fasting is we go to a place where we seek the presence of God to understand how to come into his authority. So one of the main reasons why we don't move in faith in miracles is that we don't move into the place where we activate the authority that's been given to us. We're timid. I, I've been on this journey. I, I remember um, joining a church which was a, a Pentecostal church. And, I mean, we used to sit up the back somewhere and then someone, you know, my friend was the pastor and so he said, come and sit in the front row. Well, I didn't even want to come to the front. Like, it's pretty intimidating. You have all these levels of growth that you've got to go through, you know, even walking from the back of a building to the front of a building. But then to pray for someone for healing, well, do I believe that healing can occur? You've got all these questions going on. This is where you move into the area of prayer and fasting because you're saying, I'm going to have a... a an appetite for, and I'm going to find my sustenance from heaven. I'm going to be in the place where I seek what God can do by setting myself away so that food's not my need. The food of heaven is my need. More important than the food of the earth. Now, I know that a lot of people are challenged by the area of prayer and fasting, but if your goal is big enough that you really want to live in the authority that Jesus has given us, then you'll consider taking the steps of faith in prayer and fasting. Um, I think what we might do is, um, I'll get the musicians to come back, and I'll just summarise a few things. And There's some places we could go this, this morning, and I'm asking God, what does he want to do? Is there unfinished business from last week where people came for prayer but they didn't feel like they got the answer? Is there another step to take today? Not just in healing, but in wisdom, in direction, in uh, experiencing the love of God. These are areas that... Um, you may want more prayer for. You may wish to be with someone to encourage you to come to one of the bankers in the currency of faith and ask them to be with you in prayer. If we read Hebrews 3, verse 13, sorry, verse 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you be in you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will deceive us into unbelief and disobedience, but fellowship will keep our hearts set after God. Exhortation to devotion and obedience opens the way for acts of faith. 
Here's some examples of people that I know of from this church who've been taking steps of faith. I think of one person who travels in his business to quote and to uh, meet new clients for the benefit of his business. While he goes, he prays. And I know that God has taken him to people where he's had the opportunity to create a conversation where he's been able to come alongside them and share something, what it is to experience grief and how God helped them through that process of grief. That's one person. I know another person who meditates on healing scriptures before they go and see their wife in hospital, before he visits her while she's going through her chemo. And he tries to make sure that his mind is in the place of having faith around healing before he goes to talk with his wife so that he is in the right attitude around what God can do and what the Bible says God will do. I know of another young person who's praying about being involved in their level of involvement with the youth. And they're thinking about taking a risk to lead and to speak into the lives of young people. And that's a real step for them to think about doing that. I know another person who's trying to reset his devotional life and he's asking God to re-establish him with his intimacy with God and that God would then release him to use his gifts in the area of the prophetic. Last week, I saw two people. Julie was one and David, uh, David uh, Dixon was the other that came forward to pray. They'd never prayed for someone before for healing. And they took steps to walk down here and then they got blown away because there were 20 people standing in front of them. But they took a step and said, I've never done this before, but I'm, I'm going to have a go. Oh, David is there. Sorry, didn't see you. God has given each of us a measure of faith. I want to encourage you this morning to ask God, how can I use the measure of faith you've given me to take another step forward that I can be in a place that brings you joy and I can be a benefit to the community, the faith that I live in? Or maybe you will be a benefit to people who are outside this community as you encourage them or pray for them or help them find peace with God. The other thing is the leadership is here to help. The leadership is here to help you grow in your faith. It's our mandate from Colossians 1, which uh, I haven't written down, but anyway, that we would present everyone mature in Christ. We want to help people grow in their faith. And if you've got unfinished business from last week, then at the end of this song, why don't you come forward and we'll, we'll pray again and we'll keep pressing in.